So uh, we're continuing with the lesson, uh, the power of exercise authority. And uh, so if you will permit me, just for those that are uh, didn't watch the, the last video briefing, just to take a few minutes and kind of catch everybody up, uh, I would uh, appreciate your patience with me. Uh, essentially what the, uh, the, the concept of the lesson or the foundational principle of the lesson is, uh, the power of exercise authority, is that authority comes from God alone. All authority belongs to Him. And the way that God exercised His authority was by speaking His Word. And everything God did was by, he, by Him speaking. And the Word He spoke literally went out and that word accomplished whatever he released it to do. So when he said, let there be light, the word produced light, etc., etc., etc. So we, as uh, the people of God, as his sons individually, as his bride and body collectively, we are called by God to participate with him in exercising his authority in the earth. Uh one of the key verses that gives us a uh, uh, an idea of what the Lord's talking about here is uh, Romans 8, uh, 10 verses 8, and then I'm also going to read for time's sake verse 17. I'm not skipping the stuff in between because I don't want you to know it. I'm only trying to abbreviate the time. I'm encouraging you to go back and read all of Romans 10. But uh, Romans 10 and 8 says, But what saith it? The word is nigh thee. The word in the Greek there is not logos, which is the forever settled word. Uh, in the beginning it was the Logos, and the Logos was with God, and the word and the Logos was God. All things were made by him, that without him there was not anything made that was made in John 1.14. And the Logos was made flesh and dwelt among us. But this is the Greek word rhema. Rhema is the Logos quickened by the Spirit of God into activation in time and space for a particular purpose that God wants to accomplish. So the word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word, the rhema of faith which we preach. And then Paul said, summarize this very succinctly in verse 17 when he said, So then faith comes by, or comes into being by, hearing, and hearing by the rhema of God. I read Logos. But to speak Logos in an activated manner, the Spirit of the Lord has to quicken Logos to my heart, my spirit, and then empower me to speak that Logos, thus making it Rhema. Praise God. Everything that God does through man is done by us hearing Rhema and speaking Rhema. For instance, Galatians chapter 5, verse 2. This only what I learn of you, receive ye the Spirit by the works of the Lord, by the hearing of faith. Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things, if it be yet in vain? And then listen to this one, uh, verse 5. He therefore that ministereth to you the Spirit, and worketh miracles among you, doeth he it by the works of the law, or by the hearing of faith? Did when you were ministered to and you received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, was that done by works? The one that was ministering to you, was that done by works? Or was someone speaking 
Rama, and you heard and believed Rama, and that opened the door, made it possible for you to receive the Spirit. And he said, uh, and, and, and he that ministers spirit, minister you the Spirit and worketh miracles among you. How does he do it? According to Paul, by the hearing of faith. Not by some special power that he has, nobody else has, but because he's learned to hear the voice of God and respond to the voice of God. What is that called according to Scripture? That's called the spirit of faith. According to Paul, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 12, So then uh, death worketh in us, but life in you, verse 13. We having the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believed, and therefore have I spoken, we also believe, and therefore speak. Faith and speaking rhema cannot be separated. I don't believe because of what's in my heart. That's the first step of faith. I haven't believed what's in my heart till I speak what's in my heart. It's like electricity. There's got to be a closed circuit. There's a positive flow and a negative flow closing the circuit. So when God flows in me, into me with Rhema, that Rhema is not activated and allowed to work until I do what God does and He empowers me to do what He does, which is speak the Rhema. Praise God. This is demonstrated, and I talked about this in some detail in the last part of the, the original, first part of this lesson. Uh, where in Matthew chapter 8, verse 8, a centurion, a Roman army officer who was kind to the people of, of God in uh, Jerusalem, uh, had a servant that was sick, and uh, he came to Jesus for his servant to be healed. Jesus said, I'll come to your house. And the centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this man, go, and he goeth. To another, come, and he cometh. And to my servant, do this, and he doeth it. So the centurion says, I exercise my authority. Not by putting a man in, a, in an arm lock and twisting his arm till it's out of joint, the shoulder's out of joint. Not by threatening him. If he submitted to my authority as I'm submitted to the authority over me, the orders and directions I've been given, I then exercise those by speaking. And all I have to do is say to one, go, and he goes. I say to another, come, and he comes. I say to another, do this, and he does that. Because that's how authority works. So exercised authority is powerful. Unexercised authority is not really authority at all. Unspoken rhema. Is not faith at all. Just because my heart has said, oh, that's God. So what? God expects me to speak His Word to activate what He has said to me. Jesus' response to all of this was, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. So Jesus equated the fact that the centurion believed that the spoken word, even in one location with his sick servant in another, would heal that servant. And that a man who, a Gentile who was under authority and exercised the authority that was delegated to him and understood the principle 
was the reason the man said, you only have to speak the word only, and Jesus equated all that with great faith. Great faith. Great faith. So, Jesus also equated speaking with faith. Matthew chapter, or Mark chapter 11, and I'm going to read very quickly because I covered this also in the last lesson. Mark eleven twelve says, On the morrow when they were come from Bethany, he was hungry, and seeing a fig tree far off having leaves, he came if haply he might find anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for the time of figs was not yet. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Unto it, No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. He didn't use profanity. He didn't ask God to damn the tree. I didn't speak profanity. I'm saying he did not damn the tree. He just spoke negatively to the tree. And the spoken word accomplished it. God have mercy on those that use the name or the word God and asking him to curse this and that and the other. God have mercy on them because that's exactly what's happening. Because everything you speak to him to damn, he's doing it. Pretty stupid, isn't it? The spoken word is very powerful. But some who are so foolish take it so lightly. Mark chapter 11 verse 20 God in the morning as they passed, and in the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. Peter remember, calling, remembered, saith unto him, Master, behold, the fig tree which thou cursest is withered away. Jesus answering, saith unto them, have faith in God. That's his response to Peter saying, you know that fig tree you spoke to and said you're not going to anything ever eat on it ever again is now withered away? Jesus answering, responding to what Peter said. He didn't just ignore what Peter said going off the wall in some other direction. This is Jesus' response to what Peter said about him speaking to the fig tree and the fig tree being dead. Have faith in God. For verily or truly, I say unto you, that whosoever shall say to this mountain... Be thou removed, be thou cast in the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. Therefore I say unto you, what things soever ye desire, when ye pray, believe that ye receive them, and ye shall have them. Now, <laughs> the Greek word translated desire there in verse 24 is the same word translated ask in other places. Now, this is uh, really a curious thing, and it's easy to demonstrate or to confirm or prove me wrong what I'm about to say. The basis of prayer in the Old Testament was asking. The basis of prayer in the Gospels was asking. Just count how many times Jesus told us to ask in the Gospels. But now... Go to the epistles, which are written to the church, Romans through Jude, and then also the book of Revelation. Count how many times there 
we're told to ask? Not very many. Well, what's the big difference? Because before man received the indwelling of the divine nature, the baptism of the Holy Ghost, he had to ask God. But after receiving the Spirit of God, therefore receiving the Spirit of faith, what I ask for or receive is a rhema, and then I speak the rhema for it to come to pass. So if someone is sick in the Old Testament, I say, Oh God, would you heal this person? But in the New Testament, after the day of Pentecost, you won't ever find any of the apostles ever praying, Oh God, heal this sick person. Peter said to the lame man at the gate, Such as I have, give I unto thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, ride up and walk, rise up and walk. There was no asking there. That was a command. Find Paul praying for someone. There's, there's evidences of his prayer. He didn't ask God to do anything. He spoke to the situation. Well, man can't heal. Man can't deliver. Of course he can't. But a son of God, someone who's a part of the body of Christ, can receive communication from the head of that body, from the Father, and speak what the Father's given them to say, and the Father will work. Because it's His will to work. He just needs to find somebody that's willing to be a conduit for Him. That's why it says in 1 John 3, verse 18, My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And hereby we know that we are of the truth, and shall assure our hearts before Him. For our heart, if our hearts, our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Listen now. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God. And whatever, whatsoever we ask, we receive of Him because we keep His commandments and do those things that are pleasing in His sight. John also said, I think 1 John 5, whatever we ask according to the will of God, we're going to receive it. So, what do we receive in the New Testament when we ask? This is really important. When I'm asking for God to do something, Lord, if it's your will, I'm asking you to do this. What do I receive before I receive the answer, before I receive the miracle, I receive rhema. Because faith comes by hearing, hearing by the rhema of God. And until I, until I receive rhema, I can't claim the answer to that prayer. I can't go into name it and claim it mode until I receive rhema. And then I'm not naming it and claiming it. Then I am hearing and repeating. Whatever the Father says to me, then I say. In the New Testament context, when we ask in the will of God, we receive rhema, which then is spoken in faith by the Spirit of faith in order 
for that to come to pass. Therefore, it appears to the carnal mind that we are commanding God because we're not asking. But we are in fact only speaking under the authority of His Spirit, the Logos that that He has quickened to us. This releases the Word to come to pass in the earth. And this is what we're going to talk about in the remainder of this lesson. Isaiah 45, 11. Boy, there's been a lot of debate over this verse for many years. Isaiah 45 and 11. Thus saith the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, His Maker and His Maker, Ask me of things to come concerning my sons, and concerning the work of my hands, command ye me. Oh, that preacher, that's got to mean something else than that. Well, no, it means what it says. But we need to understand how that works. We're not ordering God around. Man can't order God. So if I am commanding the work of his hands, I must first receive rhema, that is the revelation of the will of God and the indication that's what God wants to do. So when I exercise faith in God, have faith in God, Jesus said, in Mark eleven twenty two, if you say unto this mountain, be thou removed, be thou cast into the sea. Well, how do I know I can say to this mountain, be thou cast into the sea? Because I have heard Rama by faith in my spirit, and I'm now speaking to the mountain that God has initiated that I speak to. So, in my spirit, I hear Rama. And by faith, I believe that's from God. So I speak activated logos, which is spirit activated logos, which is Rama. And it, to a bystander, it sounds like I'm commanding God and all I'm being is a conduit. Because if somebody was holding a phone, and someone with authority was on the other end of the line says, do this now. Is the phone commanding that person to do that? Or is the one on the other end of the line that's using that phone as a conduit, as a communication device? Is that one the one that's commanding the person that's hearing through the device? So he said, concerning the work of my hands, command you me. Slight problem here, folks. If we're not willing to participate with God's principles, we can wonder what in the world's going on, why we're not seeing all of this, that, and the other. All we want to. But the Word of God's clear. God's not going to violate His principle for our unbelief. God's not going to violate His principles for our lack of faith. We want to put it all on God. God says, hey, I'll take it all. But I'm going to use a conduit. And if I don't have a conduit, I'm not working. Next verse, Isaiah 45 and 12 says, I have made the earth and created man upon it. I, even my hands, have stretched out the heavens and all their hosts have I commanded. Yes. 
I'm part of God's creation. I can't order around the Creator. But the Creator has a right to expect His creation to respond to His instructions and at the very least be a conduit for His instructions. The head of the body that's already sitting on the throne of the heavens has a right to expect the body to obey the communication from the head and do the work on the earth that needs to be done. The head is in heaven, connected to the body spiritually. But the head's not doing the work except through the body. And if the body's not willing to cooperate with the head and nothing takes place, is that God's fault? Word of God's true. Can't pass away. If I follow what the Word of God says, stuff has to happen. When I spend time with the Lord, submit myself to Him totally, become His conduit, become sensitive to His Spirit, I hear what He says, I believe that's from God, I speak that, God works. Who gets the credit for that? If somebody called me right now and said, Oh, Brother Wright, I, 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 the Lord just spoke to me to give you a million dollars. You think I'm going to start kissing this phone? You think I'm going to go home and create a shrine in my house for this phone and lay it up there and bow down and worship it every day? Oh, this phone, go great phone. You gave me a million dollars. That's stupid, isn't it? Men do that all the time. We do it all the time. We, we make the instrument our God and ignore the one who used the instrument. And then there are those who are instruments of God. They, they let God flow this direction, but they don't let the praises flow through them back to God. They keep that for themselves. I'll go on. Isaiah 44, 24. Thus saith the Lord thy Redeemer, and he that formed thee from the womb. I am the Lord that maketh all things, that stretcheth forth the heavens alone, that spreadeth abroad the earth by myself, that frustrateth the tokens of the liars, and maketh diviners mad, that turneth wise men backward, and maketh their, fo- their knowledge foolish, that confirmeth the word of his servant, and performeth the counsel of of his messengers that saith to Jerusalem, Thou shalt be inhabited to the cities of Judah, ye shall be built, and I will raise up the decayed places thereof. Why would God obligate himself to do what some man has said? <laughs> Pretty simple, isn't it? The only reason he obligates himself to do what some man said. It's because he only does does that with men, humans, who hear what he says and simply repeats what he says. Greatest sermon in the world. The most powerful sermon ever preached that did not come from God. Not only, she's the double, triple negative here, not only accomplishes nothing, but brings damnation on the man who preached it. That's plenty of book for that. Why? What's the problem here? Well, let's read what the uh, Scripture says about this prayer that we're going to be praying the, the principles and elements of for our week of warfare. 
Joel chapter 2, verse 16. Gather the people. Sanctify the congregation. Assemble the elders. Gather the children and those that suck the breasts. Let the bridegroom go forth of his chamber and the bride out of her closet. Let the priests, the ministers of the Lord, weep between the porch and the altar and let them say, let them speak. Here's what I want them to speak. Here's what I want them to pray. Spare thy people, O Lord. Give not thine heritage to reproach, to be shamed, to be mocked, scoffed at. That the heathen should rule over them. That the God of this world, directly and indirectly, should have any kind of influence or authority over your people and your heritage through your people. And finally, wherefore should they say among the people, where is their God? What? You mean like is going on in our world today? There's no God. He's Christians. Just a bunch of wackos. Yeah, they're just a bunch of Bible thumpers, but nothing's happening. They don't even know what they're talking about. It's just a bunch of sanctimonious, self-righteous condemners of our lifestyle. There's nothing backing them up. Well, here's the problem. church easily falls into a trap to let something or somebody else does all do all of the manifesting of God. That way we can hide. We're safe. We can keep our mouth shut. We can avoid persecution. No. No, we think we can, but it's, I, hear me right now. God's not going to accept that. You're either going to be willing to speak up and be persecuted or he's going to reject you. He said, if you're ashamed of me before men, I'm going to be ashamed of you before my Father, which is in heaven. You can't explain that one away. So, here's what we rely on. Psalms 19, verse 1. Beautiful stuff. True. It's all true. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth forth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line is gone forth throughout all the earth, and their words to the end of the earth. In them hath he set a tabernacle for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, and rejoiceth as a strong man to turn to run a race. His going forth is from the end of heaven." And his circuit under the ends of the earth. And there is nothing hid from the heat thereof. Awesome. Do I believe this? I believe every bit of this. It's beautiful. This is awesome. How's it working? How is it working? I said, how is it working? Man is all giving themselves over to God. And falling at God's feet. Because the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth forth this handiwork. Oh, that's true, but man doesn't believe it. What is man? What's man's response? Romans chapter 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness and ungodliness of men who hold, in the Greek word there, suppress 
the truth and unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. For God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse, because when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. And if you continue reading in the book of Romans, you'll see how far man got when the only word that was preached to man was from the heavens and the firmament. Not working, is it? Is it true? Every bit of it's true. And here's the problem, and it's a sad thing, but it's true. No man will stand before God and say, I didn't believe you existed, because no honest-hearted, objective individual could look at all of nature and creation and deny the existence of God. Oh, they do, but they only do that for their own lust's sake. They just need, they, they've got to convince themselves there's no accountability so they can live anywhere they want to. But no baby's born like that. People have to be taught to not believe in God because every child is born with some kind of awareness of the one who brought them into existence and put life in them. But men teach children to not believe. So the heavens declare all of this, and it's all true, but the, uh, the, the problem is, <laughs> we, uh, we don't follow it. We don't believe it. In fact, we deny it fully. So if the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth forth His handiwork, is not God's ultimate plan because He knew it wasn't going to work. His Word says He knew it wasn't going to work. Then what is God's ultimate plan? Let's try Ephesians 3, verse 20. Now unto Him that is able to do exceeding, abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto Him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus. Throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. This word glory, which is the translation of the Greek word doxa, D-O-X-A, uh, the English equivalent letters, D-O-X-A, uh, depending on context can mean several different things, but in reference to God <coughs> and His glory, the scholars I've read after have said that it means the self-manifestation and the self-revelation of God. <coughs> so the glory of God is God manifesting Himself and revealing Himself to the world. How? In and through the church by Christ Jesus. That's God's plan. That's God's plan. Well, let's see if that plan's ever worked. How about Mark chapter 16, verse 15. And he said unto them, Go ye in all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth on, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, 
He that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. And they shall lay hands on the sick. And they shall recover. Not some gifted individual that we put his name and lights outside of a coliseum or a tent or whatever. Believers. Oh, how the manifestation of the Spirit of God in power has been perverted in my lifetime. I can't speak before my lifetime, but I'm going to tell you what, in my lifetime, it, you know, even, even churches that really try to believe God bring men in to manifest this stuff because these men are used to God to do this. And what does that do in our churches? It more deeply entrenches the idea in our people that you got to be special to be used of God. I'll tell you how special you got to be. You got to believe. You got to be a believer. That's special, all right. It's special. That's special. Because that's really different than unbelievers. But that's where the Lord draws the line. Not between believers who aren't special and the special few believers. God have mercy on us. Some are sincere and honest hearted and humble and all of that. And some, oh, I'll tell you what they do. Uh, they, uh, uh, sorry. They, I messed up, didn't I? There we go. They have made merchandise out of the manifestation of God in their lives. I wish it weren't true. I wish it wasn't true. But it is true. So if you want a crowd and you want a show, you bring in the guys. If you pay them good enough, they'll put on a good show. And uh, you can have a crowd. I've had a few of those fellows here in the 46 years who've been here. There was stuff that happened. And almost every miracle that happened through their ministry ended up being a curse to the people that received it. Oh, the miraculous happened all right. But it ended up being a curse. Oh, Jesus. Sorry, I'm getting there. So, these signs shall follow them that believe in my name. They shall cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. If they, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. So then after the Lord had spoken of them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. And they went forth. Oh, wait, 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 wait just a minute. The Lord died, was buried, rose again, and ascended into heaven. And after he ascended into heaven, they went forth. No, no. Between him ascending and them going forth, there was a few pretty important things happened, like the day of Pentecost. Because when they saw him ascend, he commanded them to go in Jerusalem and, and tarry till they be endued with power from on high. And they didn't go forth and preach till after they obeyed the Lord. 
So in between here, <laughs> in between the Lord ascending and them going forth and preached everywhere, there were some really major things that happened. So therefore, this verse 20 is an overall synopsis of the ministry of the church in the book of Acts. Because there's no time limit on it. There's no time frame on it. And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following, Amen. Now, if you'd like to know what it means to be apostolic, there it is, right there. Without that, we're just religious people that talk in tongues some. We're not apostolic. Well, why? What's wrong? Why aren't we, why aren't we seeing things happen? Because we're asking for stuff rather than getting close to the Lord, being surrendered to God, being committed to Him, and becoming His conduit so that He can operate the spirit of faith through us. And His spirit quickened logos spoken into the earth as rhema and working powerfully. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding, abundantly, to do, not say. Say is the vehicle. The goal is the doing. Now him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. The Greek word power there is dunamis, which speaks primarily of, uh, of inherent power or potential power. It's resident, but it's not activated. Dunamis has to be activated to work. And the Greek word translated uh, uh, according to the power that worketh in us is, is uh, some form of the Greek word energeo, which means to activate, to cause to be operative. And when power is activated and used because the people of God hear rhema and speak it into the earth, then God can manifest Himself in the earth through the church. They went forth everywhere. They went forth, preached everywhere, and the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. Well, let's read a little bit more and see if this really happened. Acts chapter 4, verse 24. And when they heard that, uh, they lifted up their, their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God, which hast made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is, who by the mouth of thy servant David hath said, Why did the heathen raise the people imagine the main things? The kings of the earth stood up and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles, the people of Israel were gathered together. For to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. Oh, poor Jesus was crucified. Exactly according to the plan of God. It was horrible. Yes, it was horrible. What they did to him, they're accountable for. Because the Lord didn't make them do anything. And they're, they're accountable for the decisions they made and what they did to the man Christ Jesus. It was horrible. But none of it happened without His permission 
because it fulfilled his plan in the earth. That's why the Bible says if the, if the, if the princes of this world had known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. They didn't know. They thought they were winning this great victory. And the pride and the ego and the iniquity of their hearts thought this was the opportunity to do away with him once and for all. And so because they were blinded by their own pride, their own iniquity, their own agenda, even though they claimed, some of them claimed to be people of God, what happened? <laughs> he was crucified. For three days, hell had a party. But then there was the big oops. He didn't understand right at that first how bad he blew it. It's the church's responsibility to prove that to him every day. Just how bad he blew it. So they continued praying. Verse 29, Acts 4. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy service that with all boldness they may speak thy word, by stretching forth thine hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child Jesus. And when they had prayed the place together, what was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness, with confidence, with authority. What did they pray? Grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. Not ask for something. Hear, repeat. Hear, repeat. By stretching forth thine hand to heal. And that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child Jesus. By the name of Jesus. Well, how, how did this lame man that's been at this gate all these years, how did he get healed? Well, if you're asking by what name or power, Peter said, this man stands here before you whole. Know this. That by the name of Jesus. This man's whole. Because it was his name. Through faith in his name. That made this man whole. And neither is there salvation in any other. For there's none of the name. Under heaven given among men. Whereby we must be saved. Would he have had a chance to preach that? And there be any, any credibility with anybody with that? Without the miracle? No, without the miracle, it's just words. Just our opinion. Just our opinion. That's what the world says. It's just your opinion. And we don't even agree with your opinion. We think you're horrible people to have that opinion. We don't agree with it. Because we preach an unconfirmed word for the most part. Oh, but the Bible's already finished. Yes, the Bible's already finished. Thank God for that. That's wonderful. I'm so happy. I love the Word of God, and I love to study the Word of God. But the Word of God is alive, Hebrews 4.12 says. It's quick. It's alive. It's not a dead word. The Bible is not a museum of what God used to do. I'm going to say that again. The Bible is not a history book of what God used to do. The Bible is an account of, a, of the unchanging God who is the I am and everywhere present, every time present, then, now, and in the future. And there's nothing He's done He's not willing to do today. If He could just find somebody He could use that would believe Him enough to speak what He tells Him to say. Jesus, help us. 
Jesus, help us. And he said, verse 31, And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. Well, did anything happen because of that? Next chapter. Chapter 5, verse 11. And great fear came on upon all the church and upon as many as heard these things. And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch and the rest there's no man joined himself to them but the people magnified them. And believers were the more added to the church, to the Lord, multitudes, both men and women. Why? Because they preached a confirmed word. Acts 14.3 Long time therefore abode they speaking boldly in the Lord which gave testimony unto the word of his grace and granted signs and wonders to be done by their hands. So they preached boldly, gave testimony under the word of grace, and the Lord confirmed that word by granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. Or literally by their spoken word. They might have laid hands on people, but it wasn't their hands that did it. It was spoken word. It was the rhema released by the spirit of faith. Somebody became a conduit. They heard what God said. They spoke that God worked. How about uh, Acts 14 and 8? And there was a certain man at Lystra, impotent in his feet, being a cripple from his mother's womb, who never had walked. The same heard Paul speak, who steadfastly beholding him, and perceiving that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, Oh God, heal this man who's got faith to be healed. Well, if you're looking on the screen, you see that's not what the verse says. That's the way we do it. That's the common way that the believers pray today. Oh God, heal this man. It's not what the Apostle Paul did. And it's not what the early church was taught. It's not what we're taught to do by God. We're taught to do that by culture. We're taught to do that by example. But we're not taught to do that by the Word of God. Paul said with a loud voice, Stand up right on thy feet. Oh my, he didn't even say, In the name of Jesus. And he leaped and walked. Well, I guess he didn't say it, or I don't know. Doesn't say one way or the other whether he did or not. But does say what he did do. He said, Stand up right on thy feet. The word stand is in the imperative tense, it's command. He commanded the man to stand up. That's what Peter said to the lame man at the gate. Silver gold I have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up. Get up. Not, do you feel like getting up? Are you feeling anything? What do you No. Get up and walk. <sighs> Romans 15, verse 18. For I I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ hath not wrought by me to make the Gentiles obedient by word and deed through mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God so that from Jerusalem and round about unto Illyricum I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Are we primarily today preaching a gospel of Christ that's not fully preached? We got the word stuff down, we think. But nothing hardly 
nothing happens or rarely ever happens. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1, I, brethren, chapter, 1 Corinthians 2, chapter 1, and I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God, for I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and crucified, and I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, and my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of the of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Oh, in my lifetime, let me tell you what. I've heard preacher after preacher rail against people that are being used in the gifts of the Spirit and how much they abuse those things. Did you read? Did you hear what Paul said? Paul wasn't concerned about somebody abusing the gifts of the Spirit or the authority of God. He was concerned about those that were abusing the Word that they preached without power because they preached without power and pointed people to themselves. Because no miracle can truly happen through an individual that's seeking for their own glory. Oh, there may be a little element of there why God deals with us because He's so kind and gracious. Let me tell you something. When we cross that line, we can operate the gift, but it won't be by the Spirit of God. But how many people, how many preachers around this world stand in the pulpit, preach an unconfirmed word, get their pats on the back, oh, pastor, that was such a wonderful message. Go preach a conference somewhere. Whoa, we've never heard preaching like that in our lives. What happened? We heard a good sermon that we can't even remember the text and the title 24 hours later, but we remember how awesome it was. Why? Because it didn't come from God. You don't forget a rhema from God very easily. You just don't. So Paul's whole concept of preaching was exactly the opposite of the norm today. And we wonder why we have to come up with gimmicks to get a crowd, to build our crowd, because we're sure not building a church. Brother Kenneth Haney said many years ago, a crowd's not a church. Truer words were never spoken. A crowd's not a church. I don't how I could care less how big your crowd is. I'm not impressed by that at all. I want to know how big your God is. That's what matters, you see. How big's your God? Are you speaking a word God confirms? Or are you just drawing people away to have confidence in you rather than the word of God? Who I gotta go on here. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 3, How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at first began to be spoken by the Lord, and was confirmed unto us by them that heard Him? God also bearing them witness, both with signs and wonders, and with diverse miracles, and gifts of the Holy Ghost, according to His own will. That word gifts there means distributions of the Holy Ghost, not giving gifts of the Spirit, but outpourings of the Holy Ghost. So the Lord, the, the Lord bore witness to the gospel. He confirmed the word preached 
by signs and wonders and diverse miracles and outpourings of the Holy Ghost. Oh, Jesus. What's going to happen? I'm going to tell you what the Word of God says is going to happen. God is going to manifest Himself in the earth through the, the manifestation of the sons of God, even as He did at the end of the Old Testament through the Son of God. The Old Testament was concluded by three years of the most amazing ministry that's ever been as God ministered and manifested Himself through the Son of God. But we, in the last days of this covenant, this testament, it doesn't look like much is happening right now. Neither did it with Jesus either. He worked into a carpenter shop until he was 30 years old. Nazareth, the town he was living and working in, had no clue he was the coming Messiah. In fact, they were the one place in all of Israel where he was very limited in the miracles he could work because they couldn't see past the carpenter. All they could see was the carpenter. They couldn't see the Messiah. Even with the miracles that they saw when they were some other places. And the words they heard then, all they saw was the carpenter. They never saw the Messiah. And today, the people of God are in carpenter shops by the will of God. But the day's coming very, very, very soon that we're going to close those carpenter shop doors for the last time. And God is going to manifest Himself through us. Oh, yes, He is. I'm reading to you from Romans chapter 8, verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and join heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with Him, that we may be also be glorified, may be also glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. This earth, creation is groaning, waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who has subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we, we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth the pain together until now. And not only they, but all, ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of the body. For we are saved by hope, and hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why does he yet hope for? But if we, but if we hope for that which we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Likewise the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. He that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for us according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God and to them who are the called according to His purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, 
that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. Or manifested his glory through. He's not glorifying us for us. He's glorifying himself through us. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? My friend, God is doing a work in His church. God is doing a work in us. In every believer that will let Him. God bless you. Thank you so much for taking your time to watch this. God bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.